The presenting sponsor for On Education is Classcraft. We're excited to announce Classcraft's new story mode, which makes it easy for educators to harness the power of stories. Episodes 1 and 2 of Season 1 are ready for you and your students to play today, and it's completely free. To learn more about Classcraft and the new story mode, simply visit classcraft.com slash oneducation. Maybe we think about those things that much more before we put them out there to the world. Welcome to On Education, part of the Education Podcast Network. I'm Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will debate whether handwriting is still a viable skill and discuss the release of the new iPad OS. We're going to have a tough but important conversation about how teachers deal with the loss of a student in their classroom. And our guests this week are Stephanie Carmichael and Devin Young from Classcraft. So I've been riding the hell out of my bike. Yeah, how is that? I was going to ask you the last time we were talking as far as like what what is what is that setup? Like I, I saw a video where there's a bike up on a like a stand. Is that how yeah. yours works? Yeah, so it's called a bike trainer. Yeah. And the wheel spins on like a on like a, a magnetically controlled wheel inside of this unit. And it's a, what's called a smart trainer, which means that I'm, I'm, I'm actually using a program, a game actually called Zwift. So Zwift is a gamified cycling app. So it shows like all your data related to your, your biking, yeah. but you're, you're an avatar riding a bike on a street in an environment. Okay. And, and what it does is it, um, as you go up and down hills and as it's asking for, like if you're in like an exercise program, as it's asking for certain like output of your speed or power, yeah. um, it, 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 it's transmits, that? it transmits that, that information to the trainer okay. on the floor and the trainer adjusts based on, you know, what it's been, what it's looking for. So it restricts the tire or whatever it might be. So yeah, that it slows down, makes yeah, it more difficult it to down. climb, et cetera. A hundred percent. Got it. So I'm just getting started, but it's, you know, um, a lot of fun. I, I knew it. I kind of knew it would be, but I, I didn't think I'd sink into the rabbit hole as much as I've sunk. Like I'm watching YouTube videos every night about it yeah. and how to like learn how to use it. And, you know, I'm already thinking about what I'm going to buy next in terms of like, like I need a new bike. Like for oh. sure I need a new bike. Okay. Um, the, I, I kind of just took like... I actually have a picture that I'm going to I'm going to put in the I'm going to give it to I'm not sure who's writing the blog post this week, but I'll give it to whoever's writing the blog post of my current setup. You know, like we've said with so many other things, like in terms of like game space learning and like everything, you have to start. You just have to at some point you just got to get up off your butt and do that thing that you wanted to do and so like i took my mountain bike which is not the right bike for this you're supposed to use a road bike but i i took it into a bike shop and i said can you like jerry rig a road wheel onto the back wheel of my mountain bike and they did Hmm. um which is awesome and then i've got it on the trainer but my hands are killing me because the mountain bike handles um, are, are not Mm-hmm. Yes, not suited for riding for 45 minutes 
on this in this type of situation mm. um and i'm just not used to it like the seat is not ideal so my butt's always sore and it's just um but i'm i'm into it and i'm powering through it and i'm excited because i'm trying to to get in shape and i'm making some changes and and things are happening and uh i feel i i think i kind of feel better already like um yeah yeah, yeah i'm i'm pumped um i was curious if you've started hot yoga yet I have not. There's a uh, there's a place to be able to go ahead and do this, and they started basically a whole new fitness club in our in the town that we live in. So, it'll be okay. very interesting to see what ends up uh, how it ends up going. And uh, I'm excited to do it. I actually do some yoga with my wife, um, but I just got to do more. And I just in, I'm interested in this specifically because I've heard lots of positive things about it. Um, and then just then I'll have a gym membership again, and then like you just were talking about, yeah, just basically going ahead and and consistently going there versus yeah, consistency yeah. versus intensity. I've heard that that's important. Just consistently go ahead and do uh, whatever you're going to do to be able to keep your body in shape. I've been meditating too. I won't lie, and I'm like the I'm like the least, you know, like you said, whoa there, like I'm the least likely person i think that people would think would meditate <laughs> how's that going but, um, are you doing guided meditation or are you doing help, it's just to help me fall asleep okay. um so i've been doing like a five minute guided thing on calm the um there's like mm-hmm. an app called calm yep um so i just turn on one of the five minute sleep ones and you know it helps me uh just Calm put away put, put away the day which yeah. is hard very hard for me um so you know um you know to to move on you know i I think who could use the the calm app at least today was was greta thunberg this is the kid um the the climate change activist greta thunberg first off she's a beast like an absolute torture uh you know she just does not give a damn about your feelings uh i love it i i love that kids everywhere like we saw this after parkland and we're seeing that kids are vocalizing their displeasure with how, um, you know, a large majority, not a large majority, a majority of adults have absolutely like, like destroyed things for them. Um, you know, and we're seeing like this, this child activism stuff is blowing my mind. And Greta Thunberg is just, she's, she's going to be a force for her whole life, I think. Oh, absolutely. Uh, what, yeah. a, what a kid, eh? Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if this really does carry over. You know, we thought, when we barely started this podcast, I think it was right around the Parkland shooting, or we, right or at just, least it was it was the reaction that we were having to the shooting. a couple weeks after it. Um, and we had talked about, at that time, how uh, young people everywhere we believed we're going to actively get involved in uh, politics, um, making sure that their voices were heard. But really the most important thing, especially in the United States, that they would gather the forces that they needed to, to be able to get out and and really vote. Um, And we still haven't really seen that. The numbers are still uh, just horrible for our 21 and under, uh, youth and so our 18 to 21 year olds it would be awesome if the if if the combination of all of these things whether it be greta 
or the, like, for example, the Parkland uh, survivors that were out there speaking um, and really gathering force and then right. being able to go ahead and do something with that, you know, basically getting out there and then pushing, making sure that they are a heard uh, voice in our politics and that people are actually listening to them. Because the biggest demographic that still consistently votes and really where a lot of uh, politicians still talk uh, specifically to our retired people, and especially in, in the United States, if we're talking about people that are over the age of 62, they yep. consistently go to the voting uh, polls and, or voting yep. booths and they consistently vote. And so they're also needs, pretty consistently single issue voters too. They all they generally most people in that age group care about taxes singularly, virtually yeah. singularly. So, and and so it's a it's tie. It would be amazing if if in this next election, whichever way to decide the vote, and that's how we were talking about uh, over a year ago. Mm-hmm. Whatever your the side that you decide to go ahead and take. But really just to have your voice heard and then to get out there and making sure that you do vote. Um, and this is a, a, one of many things that are happening right now in our world that actually are positive things. They're standing up for their environment, for, mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. their future, which is awesome. And that's what we want all of our students to do. So I've, I've been historically pretty anti-handwriting education you know like learning it in like um especially like cursive like i've i've been pretty consistent about not um teaching cursive in school at least teach it and i don't have a problem with it being taught in art at least historically i'm going to preface this by saying historically because um one of the other things that i am and i think you know this about me is i'm open to having a meaningful conversation if you can just present evidence if you can tell me why i'm wrong i i'm open to being convinced and and i think that this article is is super interesting about about handwriting and um and how it's good for your brain so so glenn here's your moment in of opportunity (laughs) sell me sell me on handwriting man um i i think i mean the biggest takeaways from this article are that the act of handwriting is slower than the the ability to be able to type. And we know that for a fact, which actually uh, through brain research, they've shown that that actually makes a better connection to whatever it is that you're writing down. And then something else is really important as far as part of this article that I thought it really stuck with me. And I posted something about it on, on Twitter And basically it's the concept of because we have to slow down to write something out, maybe we think about those things that much more before we put them out there to the world. So for example, it's too often that, that we quickly can, can respond to whatever might be out there and with rage and then throw it out there because we can text it out real super fast with our phones, or we can type it out super fast, obviously on our keyboards. But there's a quote here. It says, if words weren't quite so easy to produce, it's possible that people would treat them. And then this part, and maybe each other with a little more care. And I, that I part that. really struck home with me because it is so easy for us to email each other, text each other. 
And, and a lot of times these things are loaded with emotions of the, the specific moments. Mm-hmm. Um, I was having a conversation with my wife and, and really about the, the concept of writing out letters and how that's a lost art and how you go, if you write a letter to somebody and, and physically write it out and then put it in, uh, you know, send it through the post office and, and, and send it this way, there's kind of a, mm-hmm. there is a, a bigger emotional connection. We know that for sure. than for example, rep- posting on someone's Facebook page or mm-hmm. on Twitter or whatever types of social media, or even an email where it's very impersonal. There's something to that. Now, as far as the brain research is concerned here, it's, it's documented that because you're writing it out and taking that time, it's a, working a different part of your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a guy that I follow, and I'm not going to remember his name, um, on YouTube that I really like. He's a pre-med doctor, and I think I've, I've uh, mentioned him on this show for other topics. Uh, but really, he's a big proponent of he has an iPad and an iPad pencil and using mm-hmm. apps like Notability. And he's when he was in med school, he basically shows you how to take notes and how to make sure you can remember Imagine all the med- when you're in medical school, all the content you have to remember uh, mm. and shows you how basically to connect that writing and then the ability to take notes in a handwritten style and then make sure that you can actually put it into your long-term memory. Not a short-term memory, but long-term memory and how, yeah, yeah. And how it made him that much more productive of a medical student and that much mm. better and now of a doctor because he has this knowledge and he actually has remembered it all. Uh, it's super fascinating. Uh, that's anecdotal, of course, but still yeah. there's something to that. Uh, we'll have to let our audience, you know, check it out and see, you know, there's obviously some studies here that they refer to all in the article itself too. It's funny. That's a, that's a strong argument for me because as a, as a history major also, uh, and maybe I'm being a little bit hypocritical because I also historically have lamented the notion of, you know, our history being digitized, like our modern, our current, our contemporaneous notes are digital. And, mm-hmm. you know, when the hard drives die and the, you know, the whatever happens to servers happens, you know, a lot of this stuff is going to get lost. And, you know, we don't write like you, like in the 1800s, you had people, you know, and even like in going back, like you had people writing books, journals. You had, you know, people, especially people who are prolific at this, who had a library full of notebooks of their 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 notes over their entire life. And now we have this like rich record. Uh, you know, a primary source record of someone's life in the world and what it was like. And, you know, we don't, we're not going to 300 years from now. Our primary source record is going to be Donald Trump's Twitter messages. It's going to be a weird (laughs) issue that like, if you know, if we develop technology that, um, we're going to need to figure out how to like take everything from YouTube and where's it going to go? Because, Hmm. That is like the 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 a giant slice of modern life is you know our existence on YouTube, and five hundred years from now, you know I, I'm interested in thinking a little bit about where that stuff goes. So I, I also 
um, you know, when you said writing down your notes on an, uh, on an iPad and stuff, that's super interesting stuff. And uh, I've, I've loved the idea for a long time of potentially, you know, keeping notebooks and writing notes. Mm. Um, but, uh, but, you know, most people just like me and whatever, just don't do it. And, um, it's kind of a shame. It's kind of a shame. Um, we're going to link that article in the show notes because it, it did get some traction on, on the Twitters this week. And, uh, and I saw it bouncing around after you shared it. And I, I thought it was super interesting. Uh, but speaking of iPads though, um, you know, there's, there's some new updates this week. It's, it's pretty exciting in Apple land this week with iOS 13, which is the, the phone um, update, but then the, the new iPad OS. So mm. it's an entirely different branch of iOS that just came out. I, I believe that it launches um, out of beta tomorrow. So today is Monday. So tomorrow I've been using it on both of my iPads in, in beta uh, for a couple days just to kind of see what it was like. And it's, listen, it's pretty interesting. Talk about um, a couple of your favorite features that, that you've seen to have um, caught on to here. Yeah. So I, I think that the biggest issue with an iPad, and I actually heard it today in a, in, a, in a conversation with one of my colleagues, is basically that a iPad can't mimic the ability, for example, that a MacBook can do. And what I'm talking about is the ability to basically do multiple things at the exact same time. Uh, and it doesn't do it very well. Now, we've had split screen. So that was already available as far as being able to have two things on there. But this new uh, OS or is just ridiculous. The mm. operating system, as far as the ability to have tons of apps and uh, information all mm. at the, at again, it's uh, your fingertips there. And then the ability to be able to slide past uh, multiple apps and be able to go ahead and easily go from, two screens and then layer even another app on top of that to toggle between all of them. And the videos that I was watching as far as uh, the guy that was showing a tutorial about how to go about doing this. Oh my goodness. This slide over mechanism is, is just fantastic. And it's a huge, has huge implications for our students. So I can't wait to see it in our students' hands and then be able to see kind of what can they do then to be able to be working on, for example, in Notability and have Schoology up or have a uh, reference page up and Notability and then uh, various different other apps that they're swiping through to be able to go ahead and be productive. Um, That I thought was phenomenal. The browser experience is so much better like like the uh, at least on the it's funny on the ipad pro that i have with the i have the keyboard case and i'll tell you um when you're browsing safari and you have a keyboard with your ipad it feels like you're i'm working on a laptop Mm -hmm. you know the browsing experience is amazing um really really smooth really quick and and basically the almost exact like i can't tell the difference between um, Safari on iPad OS and Safari on my MacBook Air. In fact, I would suggest it's almost better on the iPad OS than on the MacBook Air. So, and one of the biggest complaints, Mike, that people had about uh, just being on an iPad in general was editing text. 
So mm-hmm. writing text, you could type up things. People were okay with that. But then going back and editing was very clumsy. So this update has all kinds of new uh, touch shortcuts for editing text. For example, there's this three-finger pinch that you can do to be able to copy sections of things to be able to cut and then three finger kind of push your fingers fingers out to be able to paste segments and it looks so awesome and smooth and it's such a great idea as far as the combination of like you just said if you have a keyboard there you're keyboarding but now you can actually touch the screen and then be able to use the two things at the exact same time to quickly be able to edit text which i thought was another fantastic idea uh, especially uh, huge implications for our students so now the biggest debate is going to be, and I mean, I, I've heard that Apple people continue to say, those of you that already have MacBooks are never going to look back and, and say, maybe we should think about iPads for our students. But hmm. I'm, I am thinking about that for a couple of different reasons. One, I'm seeing that this OS is really top notch and you can mm-hmm. do things similar to what you would do on a MacBook. And then mm-hmm. secondly, the ability to be able to write is so huge. Uh, we're missing out on all of our math students as far as being able to use a MacBook for any reason except for maybe watching a flip video. Very few mm-hmm. functionality within a MacBook and math class. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But if you actually could use your pencil and you were actually writing things out, it's it's you're taking yeah, yeah, yeah. your notes, you are yeah. writing the things. If you used, uh, for example, Nearpod, on open response questions or the draw questions, you could write out your answers as far as for math class. There's a lot of things that could happen that can't happen right now with our MacBook. Now, not that MacBook isn't awesome, but I'm just saying that we we should definitely at least take a look at it and then make sure that when we make that decision, whether we go with you know a laptop type of device or an sure. iPad, that you take all of those things into consideration. It's going to force some districts to rethink some things, especially if they're in the process of purchasing uh, right now. So uh, we'll put some stuff in the show notes uh, and definitely hit us back. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll by the time this episode comes out, uh, the iPad OS will be out. So maybe we'll uh, put a chat in uh, the chat on education, see what people are thinking about it, if they've had a chance to update. I imagine one of the hardest things a teacher has to go through is the loss of a student. How do you keep it together yourself? How do you cope? How do you lead your kids through it all at the same time? We haven't all been through this battle before, but I think it would help to hear from someone who has. It's not the easiest conversation in the world, but I think it's an important one. Uh, We'll talk about that when we come back, so stay with us. On Education is brought to you by Pick My Kid. Pick My Kid is an automated dismissal solution that cuts car line time in half. It engages parents with the parent app by being able to change dismissal routines right from their phone. Friends, that means no more front office calls. Pick My Kid is an affordable solution for schools and removes dismissal stress for parents, teachers, and staff. For more information, visit pickmykid.com. That's P-I-K-MyKid.com. On Education is also brought to you by Taylor Ed. As teachers, meeting the needs of each and every student in today's classroom is time-consuming, complicated, and just overwhelming. 
TaylorEd makes differentiation in math effortless through curated resources, smart student grouping, and student insights beyond proficiency. Sign up today using the promo code ONEDUCATION and receive three months free on us. Visit taylor-ed.com for more information. Welcome back. Before we get started, I wanted to say that this next segment of our podcast deals with some pretty tragic issues surrounding death and the loss of children. If you'd feel more comfortable, feel free to skip forward past this section. Recently, a member of our team and friend, Melissa Pilikowski, had to go through what has to be, I imagine, one of the hardest things any teacher would have to endure in their career, the loss of a student. Uh, This isn't an easy thing to think about and to talk about, but we reached out to her in the hopes that she could come on the podcast and talk to us about it. And she's been gracious enough to say yes and joins us now. Thanks, Melissa. Oh, thanks, Mike. It's always good to be here. Um, So let's, I, I don't, I don't have a really strong sense of other than, other than our brief, notes about how to talk about this but i think let's just start with what what happened and and let's frame it up a little bit okay so it actually started uh or happened two weeks ago today and we all got to school that monday morning and we found out that one of our students and his father had gone up in their small plane the night before the evening before and they hadn't been seen since. So everyone was, you know, on edge for the next few hours. And the firemen and search and rescue were out. And about 930 in the morning was when we officially got the news that they found the wreckage and that neither the father nor the son, the son was a sophomore here at our high school, and they had both tragically uh, perished together in the accident. So, Melissa, how did everyone at the school, I mean, was it something that was in the news or how did everyone end up finding out? I mean, you live in a pretty small town mm-hmm. in Nebraska, so I'm sure word quickly spread then. Yeah, and it's something I really give credit to our amazing crisis team here at school, and I just can't give them enough credit and really emphasize how important it is for schools to have a crisis team, for them to have thought through these things. Because when you get down to that moment when an emergency happens, Mm -hmm. you're so immersed in that crisis and the tragedy and the emotions of the moment that it's hard to be objective. Um, luckily we have an amazing crisis team and they followed the protocol that we had laid out. So I think it was about 925 when the police, which we have a really good relationship with our local police staff and sheriff staff, and they notified the school that, um, that they had passed away and, I think it was 20 minutes later that our principal came around and handed each teacher a script of what to read. Mm. And the script really gave the entire message of 
confirming that our student had passed away, um, that our counselors were available if students needed to leave the classroom, uh, go to where our counselors were at and talk with them. And, you know, when I was talking to my mom about this, like the night that it happened, and she kind of bristled a little bit about, you know, a script. Gosh, you know, you, you had to read from a script. Hmm. In that moment, though, it's really good for teachers to have that basic script because there's nothing worse than having to tell students that they've lost a classmate mm -hmm. and you're the one passing on that news. Yep. And I mean, it probably took me three or four times to even start reading it without mm. breaking down. Mm. So just having that script at least allowed teachers to just focus on the words in front of them and all of the messages were unified across all of the teachers in all of the classrooms. And that's how we notified the kids because we knew if we didn't, yeah. they were going to find out on Instagram or social media or whatever. And we didn't want them to find out like I that. Think about, I think about this script thing is that, I mean, teachers are humans and um, I mean, I can't imagine the words and I'm pretty mm -hmm. verbose, like, but I would, I can't imagine what I would say. Yeah. So, you know, having professionals that um, are, are are knowledgeable in how to deal with this type of thing, even if they've like mm -hmm. if this is what they've been trained for to to be able to at least give you some basic vocabulary because we're human and um, it's it, it can't it couldn't have been easy to even have to say like you said to to get the words out that the script had let alone to have to then think about what you would say on your own if you were left to your own your own devices right yeah yeah exactly and and also with the script we were able to say you know this is all we know because then there were questions that the script didn't yeah. answer just because we didn't have the answers and you know, we were able just to say, this is what we know at this time. We'll let you know more when, when we know it. So the first, first day happens and, and you get the script and you have the counselors there. Um, and obviously, you know, so I've, I've been through not a student loss, but like a, a, our principal's wife passed away. While, mm -hmm. while I was teaching and, and that was that was really tough to deal with as well. She was a huge part of the school community. Um, yeah. And I remember the day, you know, and I remember having that crisis moment, you know, that first couple hours of the day are are really tough to get. Like, you just don't know, like, like even we talked about closing the school that day. That's how close right. she was in the in the community. Right. Like she was a big part and we were all, we considered her a friend, all of us, even though we taught her kids and, you know, her husband was our boss, but, you know, we, we could, uh, it was tragic. It was, so I remember that first, that first day pretty, pretty clearly, but kind of what, take us, take us through a little bit, I guess, of, of how the first, so you said it's been two weeks. So how, how was last week? I mean, um, 
I mean, it just doesn't go away after, you know, the bell rings at whatever time, 3.30 on, on the Monday or whatever day it was, right? Right. Um, I mean, just that whole day was pretty tough. It was actually a day that, you know, I had testing planned. And for those kids who still wanted to do some testing, just because sometimes distraction and something else. Yeah. Um, And then for those who didn't want to, absolutely not have to. Um, The next day, we were actually kind of blessed that the juniors and seniors were at a college fair and college visit all that day that was already pre-planned. And so I took the counselor spot and went on that field trip. And it worked out really great because just getting the juniors and seniors in another place and outside of school, Mm -hmm. you know, they were able to, you know, kind of laugh and joke around again a little bit. And then when we got back, the counselor, who's a good friend of mine, said it worked really well that she just focused on the sophomores and a few of the freshmen who were really struggling with it. Mm. So it worked very lucky for us that we were able to kind of break apart those two groups that day. Um, And gradually after that, every day was a, a little bit easier. The sophomore class was hit the hardest because he was a classmate of theirs. And then last Monday, were the services. And of course that was, Mm -hmm. that was a tough day. And we went through that same discussion here of, do you have school? Um, Do you not have school? What's the right decision to make there? But just the closure of that day, I think really helped. And they're, they're getting back to their old giggly selves again. I mean, it's never, something that you forget, but you have to kind of find a way to, to move on. And for the most part, I think they're, they're starting to get there, especially this week. So Melissa, when I had a student that I lost, uh, that was in one of my Spanish classes. Um, he mm-hmm. died in a car accident. I think it was probably a Monday or a Tuesday. Um, and we didn't know if we should have school the next day, but we it was great that we did in retrospect, because we needed to, uh, we needed to, all of us, uh, teachers needed to, to be able to go ahead and have an, a moment to be able to heal. The students needed to be able to get their emotions out. We needed that crisis team in place, that same thing that what you were just talking about. Um, but I also remember that as far as at the end of that week, and this is probably happening for you right now, this kid was a uh, football player and there was a game scheduled for that Friday. And the other team said, you know, we can reschedule this. We can, you know, we don't have to, you know, do this. And, and the students and the football players, football team, whatever, were adamant that we, that they play that, uh, that game. And man, talk about a mix of emotions, uh, crazy. You're playing this game, you know, and then, but you're also, you also have a, uh, your student there. That's not there anymore. Uh, your student athlete, So moving forward, has your administration and your teachers talked about what would you do next as far as the next steps? I don't know what our next steps are. We did kind of our, he was a cross country runner. So 
very similar to the football situation. They still ran in that next meet, which was the Saturday. And they did the entire meet before the boys ran. They paused. Mm -hmm. Our boys team went out and did a balloon release. Um, And it was uh, just a really kind of a touching ceremony. From here on out, I don't know if there's anything necessarily formal that we have planned. I know that, you know, we always remind kids that, you know, we have counselors available and uh, my school just has the best counselor. And I don't say that just because she's my best friend. She really is the best person Mm. counselor ever. Mm -hmm. Um, And just, just remaining there and supportive of the kids and knowing that it's not just magically going to be over for a lot of them, even though some of them are kind of moving on right now, there might, it might be situations of two steps forward, one step back where some of the kids are going to have some more difficult days. And we as teachers have to be aware of that and respectful of that when that comes and understand that, the grieving isn't necessarily over just because the funeral is. Yes, and, and I was thinking about that because um, in in my principal's office, they he had pictures of his wife that he didn't take down, right? And it's mm-hmm. like, so every time you walked into the office, you saw you saw her face, and you're like, oh, and it was heartbreaking, right? And so these kids and you and your teachers are gonna you're gonna come across things that are going to remind you of your student and going forward, like it, it doesn't just end when, you know, uh, the formalities for lack of better words, you know, are right. over that, you know, um, you need to be present in your student body's kind of life, I guess, to, you know, um, demonstrate your, that you're there for them, you know, even if it's in June, uh, mm-hmm. but something could come up in June that reminds a student of this person and, you know, it all comes back really quick. Yeah. Um, because I mean, I'm sitting here thinking about, about my situation and it's all coming back to me really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that support has to be ongoing, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and this is it not even just ongoing for this year, but I mean, he was a sophomore. So this yeah. is going to continue on Mm -hmm. and you know and it's double becomes double then even as a mother because he was part of my daughter's inner circle Mm -hmm. so you know doing with it at school and then also helping her cope at home and you know as teenagers they're still growing and their emotions are still really strong and helping them making sure that they still have strong mental health as they grieve and and that's tough Mm-hmm. As a parent you, and a teacher, have you um, do you know of any kind of connections the school has had with the 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 family members, uh, um, you know, the surviving mm-hmm. family members, and uh, has there been any outreach to them on behalf of the the school itself or the principal or anything like that? Do you know of any anything like that? I don't know of any. But part of it is that uh, the student was kind of was the youngest one. Okay. Um, I taught his sister a few years ago. I taught his cousin. Um, and I think he's got a one or two younger cousins. I'm not sure if they 
go to school in this district, though. I don't think they do. Um, so I don't know how much necessarily outreach there has been there. Okay. Had he had younger siblings in the district, it would be yeah. a lot different. And it would be, I mean, we were able to kind of concentrate most of the crisis trauma to the high school with some eighth grade students affected. And I had a son mm -hmm. affected there too. Um, but in a situation like that, if there would have been younger siblings, it could have affected multiple schools in our district. So, I mean, I don't know how else to put, how are you doing? How, how are the, how are the teachers doing? I think that this is, I, I can't imagine like I've had, I've had parents of, of kids pass away. I've had, like I said, sort of coworkers pass away. Um, but I've never had a student and I think that there's a difference there. And, uh, um, uh, I have a hard time wrapping my head around how I would handle it and what I would do. So it's been a couple of weeks and, and, and how, how are you guys, how are you guys doing? Um, I think for the most part, okay. Um, I think the teachers who specifically were teaching the sophomores mm -hmm. uh, are, are probably dealing with it a little bit more. I teach mainly juniors and seniors. So I think it's a little bit easier for me to move on than it is for those teachers who now have that empty seat in their class. Yeah. And I know that that issue came up the other day in the sophomore English class when there was someone had brought up when do we get our new seating charter you know when are we switching our seats and it was just you know a harmless and it all comes back but then yes yeah. and then it's chaos and it all comes back for that teacher who's a new teacher and so you know for her it's still a lot more stress and dealing with it still on a daily basis. So Melissa, any last words or advice? I mean, I, I don't even know if there is such a thing because I mean, I've been through it as there is no way to prepare or, you know, mm -mm. as far as once you're in it, it, it's hard to describe how you, you know, what it, what it is like and, you know, and how to move forward. Um, this is my second time going through it. I went through it um, uh, probably 12, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I would say the this time, and I, I hate to use this kind of sterile word of organized, but I really can't emphasize enough the importance of that crisis team having a plan. Yeah. And if this is, this happens, this is what we're going to do. These are going to be the steps. And I think most importantly that we found was continue on with school in some way. I mean, mm -hmm. learning, it, formal learning is not going to happen that day or even necessarily in the days to follow. But still having some kind of activity, even if it's, you know, just a basic, pretty easy activity that students can work on on their own. Because for some of them, they want that distraction, they need that distraction. And I also think back to 
over the years, we've had uh, two or three kids who have lost at least three who have lost their fathers. And those kids amazingly will come to school that next day, or sometimes they're back at school that day. Mm-hmm. But why? Because they want that normalcy. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to provide that for the kids who need that. And we took a little bit of heat for keeping school open the day of the services. But I also had a student who came up to me who said, I don't want to go. I don't want to be at home. I just want to be someplace where I don't have to deal with that trauma. Mm-hmm. And we still, you know, we need to take care of those students too. We can't mm-hmm. overlook those. So I think we just have to be thoughtful of of all students and help meet their needs where we can. And we do that through just organization and planning. And it's something we don't want to do. And we as teachers don't want to think about. And hopefully, you know, anybody listening to this never has to go through it. Mm-hmm. But it it's not a bad thing for schools to have that plan and for teachers to sometimes consider what would I do if this happened? Because unfortunately it does. Yeah. Um, Melissa, thanks. I, this I think hopefully was helpful to some folks who um, have to, you know, think about these sort of things. Thanks so much for sharing your story and and joining us to talk about it. Uh, It takes, you know, something i don't know what it takes but it's it's tough and uh i'm glad that you you decided to come with us on it oh absolutely thank you for asking when we come back devin young and stephanie carmichael from classcraft are with us and we're going to talk about story mode so stay with us on education is brought to you by fresh grade are you spending too much time stumbling between apps and duplicating work want to spend more time connecting with your students FreshGrade Next has powerful new lesson planning tools that give you the flexibility you need to focus on engaging and inspiring your students. FreshGrade Next is designed for teachers and made for learning. Integrated, simple, and powerful. To learn more about FreshGrade Next and sign up for your free account, visit FreshGrade.com. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Our friends at Classcraft are back to chat about Story Mode, which launched this summer at ISTE. We're going to talk about how it's going so far and what's coming up next. So welcome to the podcast, Stephanie Carmichael and uh, Devin Young. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Hi. Thanks for having us. So we've talked um, like super high level about story mode at ISTE with Sean and Devin, but um, Stephanie, maybe you can give us kind of a bit of a deeper dive. What exactly is story mode in Classcraft? Yeah, so story mode is a series of pre-made stories that teachers can use in their classrooms um, to deepen student engagement with their lessons. Um, So we're launching season one this fall. Um, We have episode three coming out next week. And um, so we're releasing basically it's the start of an ongoing narrative that uh, will last the whole school year. So we've got uh, an episode releasing every month. And in that is a few stories as well as illustrations and sometimes uh, animations that go with that. Um, And these stories are really cool because essentially they follow characters that are just like the avatars that students are creating when they play Classcraft. So what story mode allows us to do is to kind of deepen 
provide deeper context to the fantasy IP um, of Classcraft. So the avatars and the world and everything that you're seeing in the game. So just a follow-up question about the narrative then. Like Classcraft has been a fantasy world, so it's still a fantasy world, right? It's still a fantasy narrative. So we're still talking like wizards and warriors and all that cool stuff, right? None of that went away. Uh, we changed a little bit of that. We, um, it's funny. You're you're kind of Stephanie and I have spent I don't know how many hours, kind of basically trying not to make what we're doing cliche. Okay. And um, I think yeah, we we uh, we have warriors in the game. Um, we're in the process of kind of phasing them out, uh, okay. in part just because it was something that some teachers kind of found a little problematic. Uh, other teachers loved it. So it was a big, big decision for us to make. But um, essentially, we've really taken time this year to ground all the IP into the lore that we're building and to find awesome, creative yeah. solutions to keep making it fresh. And so um, so it's definitely rooted in fantasy. But um, the, the high-level premise is that there's these different tribes, and they need to sort of work together to discover this world. And, um, and what they're doing is uh, basically uncovering the sort of legend and mythology around this race that came before nice. them. And they were very technologically advanced, actually. And so there's a little bit of this uh, strange overlap of being in a fantasy setting, but also kind of exploring and addressing different themes around what happens when you're too powerful or if you're pursuing knowledge and at a certain point it makes you... Um, stronger than other people. How do you react to that or how do you deal with that? And so I think there's a lot of like kind of interesting things that we've been trying to work into the story um, of this year, basically that play on themes that would be relevant to students and and what they're learning and and kind of how they're thinking and perceiving the world. Sure. New story, new characters. It's all, it's all cool. It's awesome. Yeah. So Devin, um, I was thinking about this. Classcraft is already super popular or was super popular before the story mode among your teachers and your students. So what effect do you hope story mode has? I think that for us, what we saw is that there's uh, there's this real opportunity basically to to um, give some depth to the experience with it. I think that uh, a lot of teachers use Classcraft for, you know, classroom management and and kind of running their classroom. And I think that that's been really effective. Um, I think that when we look at our, our, our work and our mission is really uh, centered around driving student engagement, right? And so mm-hmm. when we start looking at pop culture and mainstream, you know, uh, media and everything like that, um, there's a lot there to pick apart in terms of engagement. There's a lot of different companies that are trying to figure that out. There's obviously video games, but there's also why we uh, binge watch TV and all these streaming services that are coming out this fall, the Disney's and the Apple's and all this kind of stuff. And, and at the end of the day with story mode, what we're trying to tap into is, is what's been tried and true for forever really, which is a good story engages you. Right. And if we can connect that to a narrative, Absolutely. then we're really giving teachers something that's powerful. That's going to actually bring around transformational change while their students actually enjoy it right? And have a good time and are really inspired. And so, um, so yeah, just trying to kind of marry those two things in a novel way. And I think that, you know, the, the work that Stephanie and I and the storytelling team have been putting into it, it's, it's really fruition of, of many years actually of work. We've been kind of developing this in the background with the characters and stuff. And now, um, yeah, it's starting to see the light of day. And for us, there's just a lot of uh, blood, set, sweat, and tears that went into it to make sure that it wasn't uh, cliche and kind of cheesy, and that it, that it's worth people's time, basically, to to you know invest the energy 
both the teachers, but especially the, even just the students for, for reading it and caring about it. Yeah, I think to add to what Devin is saying, it really is for us um, about deepening the engagement that Classcraft already offers. Um, so students are already playing as guardians, mages, and healers, as characters in the game, but what are the stories behind those characters or the different backgrounds they're seeing of cities or mountains or beaches? What are those locations like? Um, so our job through these stories is really to kind of bring those mysteries and secrets to the forefront um, to create an adventure that the whole class can go on together that enriches the experience that Classcraft offers. I was going to say, isn't, I mean, in the end, this has to be about the students and it has to be a student centered kind of experience. They have to want to do this. And they like, in, if they don't, then really what's the point, frankly. And, and so, you know, the, the student experience in this has to be like a huge priority for you guys. Right. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, story mode really is a mirror to the student experience. Um, so what happens with the characters in this world is that their world is, is dramatically changing. Um, and that has a lot of parallels to student experience in terms of kids are growing up. Um, they're having to learn to navigate new changes, to face new challenges, uh, to interact with people who are very different from them, all while trying to take on new responsibilities and figure out where they fit in, in the world. Um, so I think, you know, in terms of, um, the themes we really wanted to kind of explore those different um, ideas within story mode and relate them to values that we have just as a company and within Classcrafts, but also to social emotional learning as well. So talk about social emotional learning, because I've actually been lucky enough to spend some time um, with Sean in, in Montreal this summer um, at the uh, Serious Games Conference. And he spoke a lot about classcraft and social emotional learning. Um, and it's become like a big, important topic in education. And and I'm I'm always I've always been thrilled that that classcraft has seemed to be at the head of this has really gotten ahead of not just from like a trend perspective, because I mean, there might be a little bit of that, but, but this is certainly an important thing for us to be talking about. So talk about how class craft kind of aligns to social emotional learning. Yes. Yeah, so what we do is we look at the SEL competencies outlined by Castle. So self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making. We look at what actually goes into those, so actually what they mean. And from there, we map them back to the stories and especially to the characters. So we look at how we can have these characters maybe modeling those behaviors or maybe not modeling those behaviors and what consequences that has on um, the world as well as the their relationships with other characters. So in that way, story mode becomes a kind of experiential SEL that you can reflect on and discuss in the classroom. I think it's also just like on a very fundamental level, the experience of Classcraft is about looking at, or, or sorry, the approach of Classcraft is about looking at the experience within the classroom. And when we talk about developing social emotional skills, it's not really about like necessarily going through a curriculum. It's about creating an yeah. environment where certain values and, and behaviors are encouraged and that there's some reflection in that and all that kind of stuff. And so for us, where we 
find that we're particularly effective is through the lens of PBIS and then through the lens of, of SEL. And so there, there's just, there's a, a, a different set of levers basically that we're giving teachers, uh, you know, different than other approaches say, where, where we're really kind of helping them rethink about how they're running their classroom to, to support those goals. So can you guys give us a glimpse into what's next for story mode or just what's next for Classcraft itself? Yeah, so I, I, I think we have a lot of ambitions for story mode. Right now, our goal is to finish uh, season one, which is going to carry us to the end of the school year. Um, I think we want to look as well at different ways we can kind of augment the storytelling experience, either through products or uh, through community. Um, one thing we've done is we've created um, a story guidebook, which is a kind of Wikipedia that oh, teachers nice. and students, yeah, uh, that they can explore to learn about the characters and the locations and everything that's popping up in the stories. So what we hope is it inspires them to actually write their own stories set in the Classcraft world so that are aligned Fantastic. with story mode. Um, and essentially what you can think of it as is they're looking at the nuggets of information, the nuggets of information that you'd find on the Wikipedia are kind of like ingredients that they can pick and choose and throw into a pie and cook up their own stories. Um, so essentially what they're doing is they're borrowing elements from the Classcraft world that they're discovering, and they're using them to essentially write their own fan fiction. And what that allows them to do is create more, go on more adventures than just the ones that we're providing them. Um, it's also great for fostering creativity, um, for self-expression, and also just a collective experience in the classroom, which is really what Story Mode is about as well. That's amazing. So, um, folks, if you want to get started checking out Classcraft, we strongly suggest you go to classcraft.com slash on education. You can go there and uh, it'll it'll take you where you need to go to get started. We've been pumped about this story mode stuff for a quite a long time. Um, it's right in our wheelhouse. We've talked about that for a while. It's it's kind of why we we work with these folks. They're, they're our friends, but this is exactly the kind of stuff that we're into. Um, so again, um, classcraft.com slash uneducation. Uh, thanks, Stephanie and Devin for coming on the podcast. This has been awesome. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the Education Podcast Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Jennifer Gonzalez, Matt Miller, and many more by visiting edupodcastnetwork.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Classcraft, for supporting us. Check out classcraft.com slash oneducation to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.